Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. First of all, front page of Friday's Echo says dealers are selling selling heroin near school. The directors of the Life Centre voicing concern that drug dealers have started selling heroin nearby. Uh, Rachel is the Deputy Director. Rachel Lucy, good morning. Hi, Rachel. I don't think she's there, Fiona. Uh, The story anyway reads on to say that uh, Don O'Leary said queues for heroin have been forming in the area. He fears it has become a hub for drug addicts. Uh, it, there's a background piece then on the Life Centre. But they say they've seen dealers in the vicinity signal that they're open for business. By whistling, there's a code whistle that they use. Is Rachel there now? Hi, Rachel. We're not getting Rachel from the... We'll go to the phone, will we? Thanks. Okay. You there now, Rachel? Do you have me now? I have you now. I have you now. How are you, PJ? Yeah. We mentioned that whistling phenomenon. I'll come back to it in a second. That whistling thing was signaled to us a couple of years ago, actually, here on the opinion line. We looked into it and we found that it actually is a thing that drug dealers use and many dealers have their own whistle and their own code I think clever research uh, around town. We did a little bit of it for night, followed people around and got various whistles and various tunes and you can associate them with various geographical areas too. But it's happening up outside the Life Centre. What have you spotted? Yeah, that's certainly something we experienced. That would have been one of the first things I spotted. So I suppose, you know, we're here a long time um, in Winter Tale and we'd be, you know, we've great neighbours and we'd be aware of what's happening. And, you know, there's there's some nice communication here with the kind of the, the long-term people who live here. But it was around March. I remember it was when the, you know, the latest lockdown kind of was lifting again and we we're having students back that, that I noticed particularly. And one of the things that really stood out to me was we have a nice little green area outside and we have some um, of those outdoor exercise equipment. And I spotted a guy you know, if I see anyone on our premises, I don't know. Obviously, I'm alert because we work with children and, you know, we, we need to know you for you to be here. But he was sitting on one of the exercise machines and then he got off and he was leaning over the railings there and and whistling, like very loud whistling. So it became really obvious to us then, kind of putting this together, that you're you're signalling people up, you know. Yeah. Um, and I suppose... Uh, this whistling is obviously maybe kind of a, a trademark thing, but my reading at the time was this is an incredibly difficult place to find, you know, where where we're located in general. Yeah. Um, but it was uh, for me, it was it was pretty shocking. Just I suppose that there was the fierceness of it, 
you know, <laughs> so I'm going to stand and, and whistle over someone's premises um, to beckon people up. And then I suppose it was just very sad what we started to see after that. So um, I would have done a lot of the intervention around this, really. Myself, I went out to that guy. I mean, I, I couldn't prove what he was doing. It wasn't completely clear, but I was putting it together. And I said, look, you know, could you kindly move off this premises? We work with children. Mm. There's another school next door. I can't have people here who aren't meant to be here. No response. Just walked away. Um, so, you know, n- not no kind of aggression, but just mm. no no communication or eye contact. But what we started to see then really quickly, and it was so sad, was like you could just see people like outside our gateway kind of queuing. You know, you could see people arriving. Um, so they'd obviously have been beckoned and then they were arriving. And, you know, really clearly, um, you know, people with a history of drug use, you know, you could tell people who really are very ill. And I suppose even like chatting to neighbours here, um, we talked at the time and, you know, people were contacting the Gardaí about it. And to be fair, the Gardaí were really, they were very responsive. Um, but the feeling amongst the neighbours was the same, was like no one was angry at the people <laughs> really who were coming to buy the stuff because, you, you know, they're not well. It's 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 the selling of it. And I know that the Gardaí were trying to identify from where it was being sold. It was obviously close by here. And I got the impression then that it would move. Yeah. You know, like it might it might move a couple of houses on, but it's been pretty persistent. So you could have a few quiet weeks, and you think, oh, that's dying down again, um, and then it kind of picks up again. And we yeah. would have had a lot of people um, kind of wandering into the premises and sitting on our benches. Um, so you know that's difficult. Then you pop out to people, and and my experience, I would always approach people as you try to approach anyone. I mean, I worked for a long time with young people yeah. who struggle with addiction. So my approach is very respectful and I never have had any problems with with any drug users. If you just politely explain you can't be here, they move yeah. on. But I suppose at the same time, the danger is, is the needles that might be left around. Yeah. And I suppose also it's very, you know, we have to be mindful of it being a very safe space. Um, for young people, yeah, and it's it's and I've had had never. It's not that that any of these drug users have done anything to the young people, but I suppose if you come from maybe a background of addiction, even if you've seen addiction a lot in your community, if you struggle with it yourself, it's not something that I want you. To have to be looking at on your way in here. I, I, I was going know? to go there with you on on that, Rachel. In that, the, the very nature of the young people that come and go to the life centre. Would you have any fears at all that, that these people would be targeting them as customers or potential um, customers? I suppose that's possible. That's less my concern in that I suppose we watch very closely the, you know, the, the coming and going young people. More My concern is around that general safety feeling of kids. So if they encounter people in the laneway on their way in, yeah. like who are very clearly under an influence of drugs or alcohol for that matter or anything else, you know, that can be quite that can be quite an unsafe feeling. And and also, I mean, I suppose if not with you, PG, but there can, there can be a perception that all young people around a mainstream school are very streetwise and are and that's not the case at they're all, you know. Really, we just, no. we would they're not, have they're not young, half as tough as they make themselves out to be. Absolutely, and we would have some young people, you know, who are very sheltered. So like there was times towards the end of the last academic year where it was really it felt like every day and I could kind of yeah. hear it in the lane where I was I was kind of walking particularly with my junior group, I was kind of walking out 
and yeah. they usually get collected at the bottom of our anyway. I was kind of walking out with them each day. You know, they weren't yeah. asking me to do well, that. What obviously. would worry me a little bit, Rachel, and, you know, given the the young people that, that come to the Life Centre and some of them have come from difficult, difficult times in their own past, they'd be, would there be a soft target for these reprobates, do you know? Um, I suppose it's... And would these people my, know that is my next question. I wouldn't feel like I... Well, what I see is people going to... So initially it was very much all the steps up towards Blarney Street. Yeah. I think people are coming. People are already, I suppose, linked in with whoever yeah. is, is, is selling this. Um, what I'm delicately trying to ask, I think you know, is do you feel you're being targeted? Are we specifically being targeted? Yes. Um, I don't think so, no. Okay. What I think is that, like, th- th- this area, this small area, um, and, and this, I mean, I'm sure you'll have calls from afterwards, and this absolutely, I'm sure, is not the only area in Cork in which this is happening. I think what it's kind of communicating to us is is the kind of heroin, that's, that's where we're seeing needles, yeah. this, this kind yeah. of problem. And I've heard in my conversation people saying it's elsewhere in the city. Do I specifically think that people have put themselves near us yeah. No, I think that's just something that's happened. Okay. Is, okay. is it a concern to me? Of course, because I have vulnerable young people that I need to look that's after. That's what I mean. You know? That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of this whistling thing that we heard about a couple of years ago, it, it's kind of a wolf whistle, kind of a loud, aggressive wolf mm-hmm. whistle. Some of it is people looking to collect money from people who yeah. owe them money. So clearly there's something going on in that general area that has attracted Have you ever dealt with the guards on this, Rachel? Have they said anything to you? Yeah, they've been, the guards have been very responsive, I suppose. We started kind of calling the guards early on and just drawing their attention to it. Um, and they were visiting, I suppose, very, very regularly. And to be fair to the guards, they were visiting often in plain clothes. Yeah. So, and I had, you know, two, two plain clothes come and speak to myself and Don, and they said, look, here is my mobile number. Even if I'm even if I'm not at work, I link it into the station. And I am aware, like when you ring, um, there is a response. Like I've seen it. I've seen the guards come down. Then and you might have you with a few patients, or you'd see a fear scatter. Then of people running down the hill from wherever they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, like the guards have been working on this, and are, I think are very cognizant that people have to work here and there's a primary yeah. school next door to us and there's us. But also what the guard keeps saying to me is that people have to live here. You know, it's so, yeah. so it's hard to have that happening outside your front door. So um, they, they've been, I, I would have to say they've been very responsive and anytime time you call them, they come down mm. and they've kind of kept in communication. I think it was around September again, I did a guard call down and I did chat. At that time, it felt like it was it was quietening down a bit, yeah. but as I said, it's kind of peaks and troughs. It, it, seems, yeah. it seems to come and go, but but it isn't going away. It Another thing away. We, we discovered when um, we did some research here a couple of years ago into this whistling phenomenon is it comes in patterns, and there's like a it's it's like a it's like a trail, as in X Y Z is happening here today, there tomorrow, somewhere else the next day. Mm. Is there is there a pattern to it? Have you noticed? Well, I suppose. Um, in terms of the whistling, that was sort of a one-time thing for us because I suppose it must have been very clear um, when we went and spoke. I think that that individual appeared then again in here on another occasion and was told, look, we're pretty much aware of what's happening here and, and we are in contact with the Gardaí about it. So we wouldn't have had 
someone coming on here and do you know and, and doing the whistling from here and um, since then in terms of the passion of it it's it, it was it was pretty it was pretty random from our perspective right. um particularly in the, the end of the last academic year i mean some days you it was just non-stop it could be any time you'd, you'd see people and they weren't always coming onto our premises of course but you'd see them kind of on the laneway um it, it it could be ten o'clock in the morning. It could be one o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. Um, it was it was quite mixed. But then I suppose you'd see it. I mean, I haven't seen it at its at its peak. I remember just seeing like this is crazy. Like you'd have to be out all day watching it if that made sense. <laughs> and you've got lots of other things to be keeping an eye on as well. Um, that was I suppose around kind of May last May. Mm. It hasn't it hasn't got up there again yet. But there might be two weeks go by where I see nothing, and then two weeks later. So yeah. it's kind of can quite off. Um, I assume that's around, I suppose, if the guards are active on it, then maybe we move location a bit again. Um, but it certainly seems to be all at least in this one general area yeah. because it, it hasn't moved on. Um, and as I said, I have no doubt that it's not it's not the only area, you know, yeah. in Cork that's yeah. experiencing it. Yeah, but very few people, people will talk about it. And I appreciate you doing that. Uh, thanks very much, Rachel. Uh, Rachel Lucy, Deputy Director of the Life Centre on Sunday as well. Yeah, this whistling thing uh, a few years ago, uh, Fergal did some detailed research into it. And there are, it sounds like a wolf whistle gone wrong. Um, but it's not gone wrong. It's a deliberate version of a wolf whistle that... The people hearing it get a message through it. Very strange. Very strange, but very sinister. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Just a couple of things coming in. Busy here, we'll get settled in a sec. Just a personal observation, says this listener, uh, from being in and out of shops. This is, of course, with the worry about COVID numbers and whether or not we'll have to delay the easing of restrictions next week and all of that. Just a personal observation from being in and out of shops, etc. All have been moving back sanitizer stations. In some cases, sanitizers aren't even being refilled. I would have thought greater attention, not less, should focus on this, as well as distancing in shops and other measures. They shouldn't be relaxed. You've been plugging the three basics from day one. They need to continue assiduously throughout winter and normal flu season. Also, people cough into their hands a lot over the winter. And this might be a bigger factor than we think. It might be a bigger factor than, than the unvaccinated and, and all of that. But the, whoever's behind that call is correct. Sanitizer, the standard of sanitizer is not what it was six months ago. Some places have brilliant sanitizer. For example, and I'll mark it. I'll mark this one, and it stands out to me. Aldi in Douglas, the new one. Their sanitizer is practically you can practically. It's like a pump, it's like a gallon drum. It's huge. You get a fine dollop of sanitizer. 
but then other shops that I've been into, it's, it, they, I hate these automatic ones. Do you know these little ones you put your hand and you get lip? Tudn't wet a flea. Like, that's not going to do any good for you. You need to get a good dollar for sanitizer. And yes, keep your space. If you, if you are coming up towards someone in the shop, step back a bit. Give them a foot. We did this before. We've been over this. Step back. Give them a bit of, a bit of space. Hands, face and space. Now, could you give up all of your social media, your phone, your tablet, your laptop? Could you give the whole lot up for a day? Should you give the whole lot up or try to give your whole the whole lot up for a day every so often? Do you remember last week when Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp went kaput for six hours? We all thought we'd lose our minds. What are we going to do without these constant updates on our screens? And it pointed to a problem. And moreover, not just us, our kids. They're attached surgically to their screen. They practically come out of the womb these days with their hands open for a phone. And it's a problem. Alex Cooney is CEO of Cyber Safe Kids. And I know I'm exaggerating, Alex, but we're not far behind that, are we? It's almost part <laughs> of, of the child's body. Yeah, that was a very dramatic intro. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it is something that we, we, we hand over to children from a very young age. I mean, we've all seen children sitting in their you know, car seat carriers in their, in their buggies looking at the screen. Sometimes they have the, the bars that are designed to hold the, the, the device there so that they can watch more easily. It is a very normal and natural part of our lives. And we're not saying at all that the internet is a bad thing with this, with this campaign. We're totally recognizing all the opportunities. But we're, but we're also saying sometimes we need to switch off and step back and reassess whether we've got the balance right between our online and offline lives. So really that's what the campaign is about. And we're trying to make it as easy as possible for families to get involved. So that's why the switch off is happening at five o'clock this afternoon. Mm. And it's 24 hours, so it takes you across to five o'clock tomorrow. So we're trying to make it easy for working parents to to switch off the devices. Um, I know my own kids will be wrestling my phone off me at five to five, (laughs) as they were last year, as I was desperately trying to get out the last tweet. Um, And that was the worst bit, the switch off. Are, are Are we the ones they learn from are, are we the worst in the world because we've shown them about constantly being online? Yeah, I think we have to really think about our own online behavior and how much time we're looking at screens. You know, I'd really make the distinct distinction between time spent online and time well spent online. And if you're ever just scrolling through social media, which I find myself doing sometimes, you know, endlessly scrolling, I think it's really important to challenge yourself and say, is this time well spent? Am I getting anything out of this? Am I feeling better when I put this down? And if the answer is no to any of that, then, you know, it is a good idea to put the phone down. And it's, this, is, this campaign is about reminding people that we do need to switch off. We do need to find that balance. We, we need to insert healthy t- uh, tech habits into our lives. You know, for all the great opportunities there are on- online, you know, we do need to spend our time offline as well. So it starts today at five and people can sign up on cybersafekids.ie. That's right. Yeah. So um, our website is there. We're sponsored by Littlewoods Ireland and we've got loads of great ideas for how people can get involved. Um, we've already got, I think, 4,000 signups. So, you know, we're really encouraging people to take part. Um, we'd love them to register, but even if they don't, you know, give it a try. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's supposed to be fun and, and a little bit of a reminder about that need for balance. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, and you know, the hardest bit, honestly, is to switch off. After that, it's much easier. Yeah, because last week, I mentioned this, when all the various apps went down, they were down for five or six hours, it, the first couple of hours was the toughest. What? It was a meltdown. I mean, it was oh, world what, news. What, 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 what? I, can't, I can't see what's happening in outer Dubrovia. But I know, I know. And the endlessly, you know, desperately refreshing the feed. I mean, it was incredible. Six hours of an outage. And, and the world was up in arms. You know, it does show. But we've got to remember that, you know, a lot of these apps and games are designed to hold our attention. You know, it, it's called the distraction economy for a good reason. You know, they've been, our devices have been likened to slot machines that need to constantly refresh the feed to see what's new. Is there a new notification? Is there a new message? And again, I draw us back to that. Is it time well spent online? Because yeah. if it's not, then it's really time to switch off. That's an interesting term. I it. It's new to me, the distraction economy. Yes, it was coined by Tristan Harris. You know, the, 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 he was, he's the founder of the Center for Humane Technology, and he's behind that documentary, The Social Dilemma, which I'd encourage people to watch. Yeah, um, that I saw, it, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's great. So he was, he was one of the guys that was quoted in that. And he, yeah, he talked about the distraction economy because, you know, before it had been coined the attention uh, economy, and now it, it's about distraction. Our, our phones... And, and all of the apps and games on it, you know, they're really trying to hold our attention. And, you know, there's lots of positive and good. And I think we saw that through COVID, through lockdowns. But it's important to understand that that is what's, what's happening, that we are being manipulated to a certain extent. Our, our attention is being held. And, you know, we have to fight that urge sometimes and, you know, really question, is it time to, to switch off? Is, is it time to step back? OK, well, the, the challenge is on to do it from five o'clock today for 24 hours. Alex Cooney, uh, CEO of CyberSafe Kids. If you want to find out more or sign up to that, there's nearly 4,000 people doing it already. CyberSafeKids.ie forward slash cyber break. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Darren and Demi. Live. Saturdays 2 to 6pm. On Cork's 96FM. Got me feeling so Every Saturday, Darren and Demi bring you the best weekend vibes. Fill your afternoon with the best music mix. Entertainment news and lots of laughs. <laughs> Darren and Demi. Darren and Demi. Live. Saturdays 2 to 6 p.m. so good. Corks 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning, PJ. How's Dad? All we're being told is he is the same. Now, what does the same mean is the big question. Um, Because Dad has advanced dementia, so it's difficult to gauge. Now, I do ask some probative questions when I speak with the staff. And I did find out last night that he's eating. Now, that's actually an improvement. I suppose for for, for listeners, Dad was brought to CUH Monday, was it? He was brought to CUH Monday. um, He has a very advanced dementia. As I said, he's nonverbal, almost immobile. Um, On Monday morning, we were unable to wake him up at all at all, which would be most unusual. Um, We couldn't 
really get any solid food into him or anything. And we decided to call for the ambulance service. Um, the critical care doctor actually came out first and assessed him and decided that being way off his baseline and pretty much unresponsive, he needed to go in by ambulance. Right. So he was brought to the ED and was... Uh, brought into a cubicle relatively quickly as soon as they could clear one for him. He was assessed and very quickly he was diagnosed as having urosepsis, so sepsis of the whole urinary tract area. Yeah, he continued to deteriorate um, a little bit over the next couple of hours as the illness actually took hold because it sets in very quickly. And I think we were basically extremely lucky that we caught it in its very early stages at home and recognised something was wrong. Because he had Um, no way of communicating to you if he was feeling sick. No, no way, no way. he, he, He wouldn't know anyway. Yeah. He wouldn't. God, yeah. no. You could ask him, has he a pain? He'd say no. And he could be ravaged in pain from his head down to his little baby toe. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. could ask him, has he a pain? And he'd say yes. Yeah. And he'd be a picture of health. Yeah. So he went He, he, he went into the emergency department. How long was, was he going through there? <laughs> Three days. Three days. Three days. So... We were appalled. A man, a man with advanced dementia... That doesn't speak. They can't move. With sepsis. With sepsis. Three days. Extremely prone to pressure sores because of his lack of mobility. Like at home, um, we have a 10 centimeter cushion in his wheelchair. Uh, there's a special air cushion. Yeah. We have a gel cushion on his lift and rise sofa. And we have an extremely thick alternating wave pressure relief mattress on his bed. Right. He so was he, treated on, on a, on on a, a trolley. trolley. Right. Okay. Okay. And the ED department, the staff are beyond amazing, mm. but there's not enough of them. And worse, mm. they don't have sufficient supplies. Yeah. So they didn't even have a pillow, not even one pillow to put under his bottom to raise him up on one side and then alternate over to the other side. Did he have even a, a, a cubicle, a curtain around him? He had, he had a cubicle. We were extremely lucky. Had he arrived on Monday night or Tuesday, he probably would not have had a cubicle. Right. There were ladies and gentlemen outside in the corridor, far older than dad. He's 72 years of age. There was one lady, I know she was in her 90s. Some of them were as sick, some of them worse, some of them sitting up and alert, but they needed hospitalization for whatever reasons. Were you able to stay with him, Sandra, or was someone able to stay with him? In the ED, yes. In the ED, they will allow one visitor for palliative care, for dementia patients and for children. But once he was taken to a ward late on Wednesday, there's nobody allowed to stay with him. So you've not seen him since he went up to the ward? I haven't. And it's extremely difficult for us um, because we are unable to get much information 
Now, it was by fluke that I managed to get the phone answered last night. I'd say if I looked back on my mobile, I probably have about 70 or 80 calls that weren't answered to his ward. And again, not the staff's fault. They just don't have the resources. I was just about the problem with yeah. The problem with dad is not being with either mom or myself because since the day he was diagnosed, I don't think he's been without either one or both of us for five minutes. He responds to us if he has too many strangers coming into him. He shuts down. It's his I was, I was way of communicating. To, I was just about to ask you that, Sandra, that like at his advanced stage, most unfortunate to hear, like if you're not with him or someone isn't with him, you say mom as well, you'd know how to assess how he's doing or whatever limited communication he has, he can communicate with you. Would he get frightened when you're not there? Yes, he won't get frustrated or aggressive, but he gets frightened. You, We can read his communication yes. on his face. We need only look at him yes, because, you because know we're so with him 24-7. You know so um, he will look confused. He will look a little bit upset. Yeah. He won't necessarily cry or show emotion, but we can tell the difference. You, you, and you, we you know, know it from home helps coming in to help him in the house. Yeah. When somebody new comes in, if a new staff member arrives, he kind of looks yeah. and he won't respond to his name. Yeah. He won't put the hand up. Yeah. He won't stand up with them with yeah. assistance. He's well, almost like he resists. He do, he's like a baby. He doesn't respond well to strangers. Now, is it... He, the, his is mental it, capacity is less than a two-year-old. Right. Is it COVID they're blaming on the fact that you can't go into him? Yes, 100%. It's completely COVID restrictions. Um, outside of the fact that they can't put him into a ward because they're so overwhelmed with um, patient numbers that he could stay on his own and have a family member with him. That aside, we can't even visit him because of COVID. We were told that there were in excess of 30 cases in the hospital on Wednesday when he was transferred to a ward. That's right. The numbers were in, in the 30s. I was able to check. You can check that every day. You're suggesting, Sandra, that under the circumstances that a family, a dedicated liaison person be put in place that you can deal with? That would be my take on it. Like, I think it's such a simple thing. And this is not just for CUH. This is for every hospital and nursing home in the country where restrictions are in place. I think it's such a basic thing to be able to find out how your relative is doing. And I think this is not new. It's going on since March 2020. The HSE by now should have come up with a system whereby a patient liaison or a family liaison officer is in place in each hospital or ward, whatever they deem appropriate, who can communicate once a day, less than a five-minute call, the update on your relative. And I'm not on about just saying, well, they're the same. Mm. Something a little bit more specific. Or if you need to find something out, you can call this person and then make a query for you and try to come back with the answer. That would be another useful 
thing to have. Sandra, thank you. I wish Dad well. I wish you and Mom well in trying to look after him. And it's very obvious that you don't blame the individual staff at CUH. They're just completely run off their feet. Sandra, thank you. And my best to, to your family. And Sandra, also making the point, look, the more people remain unvaccinated, the longer this crack is going to go on. And, and all the talk that we have about being concerned with what might happen this day next week and the numbers coming out about the number of people unvaccinated and like they're saying here today in the news the planned reopening next Friday could be delayed if COVID cases continue to rise as rapidly Uh, the HSE's chief operations officer has said unvaccinated people are having a disproportionate impact on the health service The number of COVID patients increasing by 43% in the past two weeks being admitted to hospital and the vast majority of those being admitted to hospital are the unvaccinated. Hop on, lads, just get the jab. You know, when you're letting your children in and out to school, the most valuable person on the way in can be the traffic warden. Uh, She's still down, I think, in Douglas, Betty. Betty must be about 109 at this stage, but she's still doing it in Douglas outside outside uh, the schools there. So, so we know how the value of a warden. And imagine not having a warden for a city centre school in a busy place like Grattan Street. Maura O'Reardon is principal of the Educate Together school there. Maura, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Many thanks for inviting me onto your show. Delighted to have you because I know the area, I know what traffic is like, and I was aghast to discover you don't have a warden down there. I know, PJ. I suppose um, I became principal in Cork Educate Together in November of last year, and um, I know that the previous principal, Elizabeth, and the board of management had been trying to, they had applied for, a school traffic warden and perhaps I was a little naive in that I thought once the application arrived on the correct desk that it was a fait accompli. However, when it did arrive on the correct desk, we were told, unfortunately, that there are a set number of traffic wardens for Cork City and that all of those positions were deployed in schools already and that it was down to funding. We actually couldn't believe it. Yeah, there's a set number of wardens, yeah. We then begin, I suppose this really is part of a bigger question with regard to how school traffic wardens are deployed. Is there a risk assessment? If we are talking about a set number of traffic wardens, how is it reviewed? How are they deployed? And while I certainly don't want any school to lose their school traffic warden, there has to be some element of need. Mm. But that doesn't help us today when every single morning and I suppose I'd like to initially thank Dan Boyle because we did send out a plea to Cork City Councillors and Dan Boyle arrived down about two weeks ago and witnessed himself many incidents every single morning. For instance, this morning, a motorbike bike sped through the pedestrian crossing at speed. If there was a child or indeed an adult, they wouldn't stand a chance. And if, I suppose it has to be seen to be believed. I have made... Um, contact with the Director of Services in Cork City Council and have invited them no more than Larry Cummins the last morning to come down and to witness it for themselves, to see 
exactly what's happening. Is well, it Mara, Mara, you know, anyone who knows the city centre at all and anyone working in local authority should know the city centre. Like Grattan, Grattan Street at rush hour, around the corner from the courthouse, at the edge of the city centre. Like, not to have a warden there looking after the safety of children. Makes no sense. I know. It makes no sense, but at the same time, when then we apply and we're told it is constrained by funding, you know, what do we do? Where do we go? And we do not want to be in a situation where we have a treacherous, it's a treacherous situation to have an accident and everybody wringing their hands you know, looking around, wondering how this actually allowed to happen. We don't want to get that to that situation. Are you aware of more? I'm sure you are. Maybe listeners aren't. Are you aware aware of how much it costs per week to have a warden? No, I don't. You no, don't? I don't. I'll, I'll tell yeah. you. I'll tell you because they advertised for a panel of new wardens in April of this year. Would you, okay. would you, would you care to hazard a guess at the salary? I wouldn't, but I suppose our application has been in their office for the last 18 months. Right. So I wonder where those um, school traffic wardens were actually deployed. Well, the salary, so on, the salary on offer in April was €313. Euro. Okay. But that's not and exactly a case. And I certainly think our children's safety is worth that and 10 times that. So they have a, they have a limited number, and they're funding for a limited number, and they say that until we get more funding for more numbers, you don't get more wardens. Well, so I suppose the bigger issue here as well is the clarity and oversight. Well, where are those traffic school traffic wardens at the moment? So if they hired, what schools got them, and why were we deemed unsuitable? Or if they are using a risk assessment, you wouldn't want to be outside our door our gate more than a minute mm. between half eight and nine o'clock to witness severe issues with regard to our pedestrian crossing. There's Not another, only that, but we have our light which is broken. We rang it in about two weeks ago. Yeah. It remains un- it remains broken. There's um, a there's a there's another thing as well, safe routes. You, you you missed out on that as well, did you? Well we applied and again this comes back so that was run by the city council and on Pashka, we applied and in our application, we said that we did need a school traffic warden, but we, they said there was over 900 applicants and we were unsuccessful in the, at this time, but that in due course with funding, that we would be um, seen as a candidate. However, we still don't know where, what schools did get that safe route to school. You know, it's just very unclear the policies. What is the policy with regard to deploying school traffic wardens? Who decides? And I really would love for the person who is responsible to come outside our school at half eight any morning of the week or half past two any afternoon to look and to observe and then turn around and say that our school does not meet the criteria. It doesn't make sense, and I understand that there is funding constraints, but at the end of the day, we are responsible for our community. And PJ, I'd much rather be on your show talking about 
the fabulous school that we have. We're a multi-denominational I have to say, I'm, I'm well aware of the school because I've been down, down there a couple of years ago at various different functions and it's it's a super school and it's in a very dangerous area traffic-wise and which is why I want to give you an opportunity. Maura, Principal, Maura O'Reardon, Principal of the Educate Together in Grattan Street. That's all I've got time for with you. But here's hoping you get a warden soon because it's stupid that they don't have one down there. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Amazing how the anti-vaxxers are crawling all over social media at the moment, trying to deny that uh, the people that they're influencing are not the ones who are ending up mostly in ICU. 70% of people in ICU since April have been people unvaccinated. That is just a fact. And if you're deliberately not vaccinated and deliberately trying to get people not to vaccinate, do you ever consider you might be part of the problem? 1850-715-996. I just can't stick this nonsense. Anyway, on the traffic wardens, very quickly, I want to go to Deputy Thomas Gould, but uh, thank you, Deirdre, who's in Douglas, who tells me the lovely Betty retired two years ago from the schools in Douglas. There's a wonderful new young lady called Denise now. Betty was great. Betty had pockets full of sweets and lollipops, and Betty knew every child by name and knew them well. She was a bit of a legend, and Denise has stepped into big shoes. Small person, big shoes. I wish her well with that. 1850-715-996. But to the situation in, in Grattan Street, Thomas Gould, good morning. Can you add any light to this? Actually, PJ, um, I was contacted yesterday evening. I was on the way home from Dublin from the Doyle, and um, I was contacted by a parent who was a child in the school. What I told him was that I would contact uh, the city council this morning because... Like, I, like you, would know Grant Street very well. It's a very busy area because it's in the city centre location. There's a lot of traffic. Like, just listen to the principal on the phone to you today. It doesn't make sense because, to me, I'd imagine this should be one of the highest priorities to have a traffic warden in the city. You know, like, you see it every day. There's traffic jammed outside uh, that school every day. It's, it's in one way, it's a great school because talking to the, the parent last night, uh, she's able to go to herself and her husband are able to go to work in the city centre. So to drop the child to school, it really suits them, and they can get public transport. Sure. But for them not to have a traffic warden, I'll be I'll be onto the council today, PJ, and I'll update you how we get on. Very good, very good. Because they seem to say there's a limited number. We only have a certain number to go around, and unfortunately, you're not in the allocation at the moment. That's that's not good enough. No, it's not, PJ, and. Like the, the city council are working to a budget, right? And I understand that. But my point to the city council will be that where a need is there, it has to we have to put uh, a traffic warning in place. Like if you were to go away and carry out an audit of the amount of cars that pass that school every day and the amount of children in there and the risk that they could be at, I think any audit would say 
it's a must for a, a traffic warden. OK, we'll see where it goes. Thank you for that. That's uh, Sinn Féin, TD for Cork North Central, uh, Thomas Gould, responding to my conversation before the news uh, with Maura O'Reardon, principal of the Educate Together in Grattan Street. They don't have a traffic warden. They've been told there aren't the funds to allocate them a traffic warden, that there's a certain limited number of wardens based on the amount of funding to hand. The salary for a warden is a colossal amount of €313 per week. It's a part-time gig. €313 per week is the massive salary paid to our traffic wardens. 1850-715-996. Let me talk about dyspraxia because it's a problem that I've heard mentioned on this programme and I've discussed on this programme many, many times. It now has its own day and Dyspraxia Day is this very day. Let's talk a bit about what it is, how it affects somebody and also about a fantastic new app that can actually detect it in a child. Uh, That in in a little while, but let me go first to Audrey Dennehy. Audrey, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Tell me about how Dyspraxia has entered your life or your child's life. Well, dyspraxia would be one of many um, developmental language disorders. Um, Mayhall, which is the new kind of name, is DLD, which would used to be known as SLI for, um, you know, uh, specific language impairments. Mm. But Mayhall, um at 18 months, like he's my third child, he's, you know, real bubbly little boy. But I noticed that he wasn't you know, uh, getting the words pronouncing properly, that he seemed to be, you know, not up to the level that I would have expected at 18 months. Um, and following that, an assessment, uh, a referral was sent to our uh, local SLT, um, the community SLT, and Last year, he was seen by Mary, the SLT, and diagnosed with a severe speech sound disorder, which is part of um, developmental language yeah. disorder. For, for for people who wouldn't be familiar, Audrey, what are his issues with speech? Like it, forming, so, forming a sentence, learning words, what are his problems? Learning words and the sounds that the word of the word. So... I'll just use the example of Nana Sheila, which is one of his grandmothers and he adores her, but he wasn't able to say Sheila. He just could not get the word. He could not pronounce it. In his head, he was saying it, but what was coming out of his mouth, you know, was not comprehensible. It was, it it made no sense. Um, For him, like real chatty, but the chat was, um, un- un- you couldn't understand him. Yeah. The frustration for a long time. And say the word now, the thing like Nana, Nana Sheila, would, would the sound be the same every time? As in his yeah, attempt to like say he Sheila. Would, he might say Nana Iya or Nana Wiwa or, you know, right. just he wasn't getting the syllables. He wasn't being able to to get the sounds. Gotcha. Um, just they weren't coming out. The, the, the way that the oral movement would be just wasn't, you know, he wasn't yeah. able to put the tongue up or down, you the know, to make The word is in his brain, shapes. but he can't bring it to his lips. Oh, yeah, 
Exactly. So he's got it, but it's just not coming out as it should. So now that was a great achievement. And I think my proudest moment was having him learn to say Nana Sheila, thanks to Mary, the our SLT, um, the community SLT. And what, what kind of, of, of services are there? You mentioned the community speech and language therapist, but what kind of services yeah, are so there? Yeah, so it's general? very, very difficult to source services. They're very limited. Um, so, like, we would have be, been waiting a long time. Like, I would have highlighted it 18 months to the um, public health nurse. And the one line that you'll hear a lot of is, uh, they'll grow out of it. You know, they'll grow out of it. They're small. They'll get there. They'll... They'll get it. But I knew, my instinct knew that this was more. This this wasn't something he was going to grow out of. He was having difficulties and he needed help. Yeah. So I think it took it upon myself, you know, to start researching and advocating. And um, I, you know, went back to the public health nurse and I said, no, you please need to refer him because... There is something he is not, you know, he's not getting the sounds. He's not at the level that I would expect. And to him, he's saying them, but they're not coming out right. And the frustration was there. So very limited services. Uh, There is not enough community um, SLTs. Like I think our one would cover a huge area. Um, And then from that... Like, you know, there's lots of people that will, you know, have to go down the road of private therapy, which is extremely expensive. There is no supports for it. Um, and, the you know, what, what they need is intensive speech therapy to develop the, the ability to speak and make the sounds. Um, a recommendation from the... Um, community speech therapist was to um, think about this language class. I had never known these language classes existed. This is in Mallow, Um, isn't it? Yes. And now it's a specific language-based class. So it's, you know, it is, there's a certain criteria. They have to, you know, undergo assessments. There's an awful lot of paperwork. um, And the class only covers junior and senior infants after that it's off you go and if you're lucky you'll get supports in school you know but you kind of have to paddle your own canoe then and fight and push for services um for your for your children Mm. um so for us now thankfully we got into he you know he reached all the criteria and he was lucky enough to get a place but it's only like so it's covering juniors and seniors the class only holds seven so you have from the juniors going on possibly to the seniors so there's only two in juniors their new intake and I think maybe uh, one new intake from the seniors so there was only three accepted in to the class this year and and what like he had two years there then junior and high babies, as we used to call them in the old days. And what happens? Yeah. And then it's on to mainstream. 
you know, he'll um, he'll go into hopefully into Lismire National School where my girls attend, mm. and hopefully he'll get supports. Um, That's just what I was going to say because it ain't going to go away in two years. Like. No, it's not. This is going to be something that he's going to need. You know, work and practice and lots of in, intense speech therapy. Um, and it's exhausting for him yeah. to do it. Like he's small, he's, you know, he's he's still little and it is tiring. His brain has to work and he's, he, he's, you know, physically his mouth has to work, his brain has to, it's it's a lot, a lot of work for them. Yeah. Right. But it is needed. Yeah. Um, but like that, like there are people you know, that are unaware and follow the line of they'll grow out of it and don't seek the help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I think it's that, scary. That was when kind of the old way we used to say, ah, sure, look, they'll grow out of it. Yeah, and, and I think it's still, a lot of that is still there. You end up with a young person then who has struggled through and they end up very inarticulate and unable to communicate well because when they were a child, well, this little effects. problem was never sorted. Yeah, but it affects affects like a whole myriad of 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 things. It like it affects learning, reading. Like fifty percent of children with um, a diagnosis of DLD will um, go on to develop, um, uh, you know, difficulty reading, writing, mm. um, understanding spoken written language. Yeah. Um, learning different languages is, you know, going to be a near impossibility for the likes of Michal, who struggles with getting English words out. Yeah, and with with supports, so, a lot of that could be could be mitigated. Stay there for me, Audrey. I yes, want to bring in. I will, of course, Doctor Pauline Frizzell, who is UCC speech and language expert. Um, Pauline, you've developed an app, I think, that can detect problems with language development. Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, we're just, we're in the process of developing the app, but yes. Um, but could I just clarify a couple of things before I talk about the app, PJ, if you don't mind, sure. just to say that today is DLD day rather than dyspraxia day. So okay. um, DLD is developmental language disorder, and that's a significant difficulty learning, understanding, and using spoken language. So sometimes DLD can occur with dyspraxia, but it doesn't always. So verbal dyspraxia is a difficulty coordinating the movements that are required for speech. But we often have people with DLD who don't have dyspraxia. And so that's one of the problems is because it's often hidden as a a difficulty because they may be able to produce speech sounds without any great difficulty, but they might make errors, for example, using simple sentences or even having trouble organizing a conversation and they may not understand what you're saying to them. Right. So that's really problematic and so, that's part of the reason that we developed the So app. Pauline, it's, is is DLD then as a term, is that a bit like, and I stress a bit like an umbrella term, say for ASD? In autism, is it um, an umbrella term? Or is it specific? It's not well, I suppose it can co-occur. It's not really an umbrella term, but a lot of these things are very interlinked and they have 
some common symptomology. But I suppose the problem with DLD is that it wasn't being given the status of a disorder, if you like. So if you imagine people who are in school and if you have a teacher with 30 children in their class and you've got one child who maybe presents as being just quite shy or quite quiet because they don't say a lot Mm -hmm. and maybe they don't understand or they could be considered to be disruptive because they're not following the instructions that are given by the teacher, for example. But of course... DLD language is part of everything. So if you don't understand language, it affects your ability to do maths. It affects your ability to follow the instructions that are given at PE or to understand the rules of the game when you're playing with your friends in the schoolyard. And so it affects your ability to make friends. And if you don't recognize DLD as a disorder, then children won't get the supports that they absolutely need. And we reckon about two in every classroom have developmental language disorder. And right, so every every classroom in the country, Pauline. Sorry? Every classroom in the country. Every classroom in the country, yes. It has, um, you know, everybody's heard of dyslexia. I think it's a nice uh, parallel because when we think, if somebody has a difficulty learning to read and write, people will automatically think, oh, I wonder have they got dyslexia. We should check out and see if they got dyslexia. But if people have difficulty understanding and using their own first language, We don't recognize that as a society as being a difficulty, an inherent difficulty that somebody has that is, you know, not part of their behavior. This is part of just and it's not part of intelligence. You know, it's not that this person isn't intelligent. It's that they have a specific difficulty learning language. Some people have specific difficulty learning to read, learning to write. Other people have difficulty learning maths. These children need to be given the support and the recognition that this is an inherent difficulty that they have. It affects their employment levels, their social relationships, their well-being. You know, it affects everything. I'm very taken by that statistic. Uh, Statistics don't often knock me back on my feet, but that one has that you reckon there's two kids in every class in the country with DLD. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. And that's why we so we so like we really need to get the word out there that people I have a friend who says I won't rest until my taxi driver knows what DLD is. So we want everybody to know what DLD stands for and so that we can recognize these difficulties and give these children the supports that they need throughout our schools and into adulthood you know we we have to give supports from as early and the problem is it's very difficult to diagnose DLD empirically we can't really diagnose it for sure before four years of age because if we we have lots of children who can be late talkers at two and they're fine when they're four yeah children talk at their own pace we all anyone one of us who've had kids knows that they talk at their own pace but Mm -hmm. yeah talk to me about this we also have children yeah, so the app is called Texi, and I first started developing it in 2016. Well, 2015, I did a little bit of work in UCC, and then I went on a fellowship to Oxford to work on it there for a while. And we're now at the stage where we have the app, um, but when you develop any type of test to help children who have difficulties, you have to establish, first of all, what's typical. So what can typically developing children do on this task so what you need is you need to get hundreds and hundreds of children who don't have any diagnosed difficulties to do it and that's the stage that we are at so it's it's about it takes about 20 to 25 minutes and you can download it from the app store unfortunately it's only available for ipad just yet 
But um, it's just a series of animations that children listen to and they hear a voice at the same time. And if the voice, if what the person says and the animation match, then they touch the smiley emoji. And if they don't match, they touch the other oopsie emoji, as I call it. So we, um, we can, once we've established what's typical, then we go and we use it with children who have diagnosed difficulties and children who are at risk of having these difficulties. And that's then when we can start to use the tool clinically. But you have to always with any of these. And the problem is that an awful lot of tests that we use in Ireland are normed on US populations or UK populations. So we want a test that uses the Irish population um, and that can help us identify these children. Well, so we're asking parents, if, if you don't mind, please, children between five and nine, if they can download it and do it at home. It's important that children do it on their own so that they don't get help from a parent because that would obviously affect, you know, how the child would perform. And we'd also be going into preschools and schools and asking them for their help and support with the younger children. Okay, well, it looks as if it's technology that's developing and exciting and very useful technology. But that is a statistic that I will take from that discussion with Audrey and Pauline, that in every class in the country, there were two children with DLD, developmental language disorder. If you learn nothing else this morning, learn that. That's a major problem. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. I've got Connor and Sorsha. Yep. Connor, Connor needs braces, so the 2000 would certainly come in handy there. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> Question 10. Robert Caudry wrote the first version of what book? D- dictionary. You said dictionary? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you better tell the young lad he's going to get them braces. You just want two dollars! just won 2,000 euro. Brilliant. You happy with that, Mary? Ah, thrilled now. You can tell she's been in Ireland for 17 years. Like, you just won 2,000 euros. <laughs> Ask her. Oh, fair play to myself. Another winner. There you go. Go, go. two grand minute. Listen to play. At 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning. On Cork's 96 FM. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. I'm holding over a bunch of comments on vaccinated, unvaccinated, COVID in hospital, COVID in intensive care. I will get to them. I will certainly get to them. And also, if you're watching this, and if you found why you're reeled into it and can't leave it alone... <laughs> There's a psychology to that. I'll be coming to that before the end of the program today. 1850-715-996. Did you know that they once thought about banning chocolate because it made you horny? Well, that's my reading of it. It's, it's one of the things that's in a new book by a man called Mike Gibney. Mike Gibney is a professor emeritus of food and health at UCD, and he's written a book called Food Through the Ages. Professor Gibney, is that true? Good morning. That chocolate made you horny, and, and they thought they might have to ban it. Well, I, I doubt there's much truth in the, uh, in, in the idea, but certainly the Catholic Church, when they are the missionaries of both the Dominicans in particular, when they arrived in Central uh, America and they encountered uh, the, the chocolate-drinking uh, uh, habits of the Aztecs, when, th- when those were taken on by the Spanish women or the women who married the Spanish soldiers, there was uh, great commotions about whether or not it made them libidinous. And indeed, um, uh, uh, the, the, that notion has always stayed with chocolate. I mean, if you if you... Look at the ads for the lady loves milk tray yes. or seductive chocolate ads. Yes, it's always been there, and uh, chocolate was—I mean, it, it was used as, uh, if you like, a Mickey Finn by um, uh, the uh, Comte de Sade, the uh, Marquis de Sade, no. and he—he uh, he held sort of Romanesque orgies in which he fed people chocolate, but he, he probably had something in it. But there's a lot of myths about it. I don't believe it's true at all. But uh, certainly the Catholic Church got in a, got the knickers in a twist over. Your book is full of little stories like that. It's a history of the mo- of the food we use every day. Another beauty that I found. Are you telling me that as a dish, spaghetti bolognese shouldn't exist? Uh, ideally speaking, yes. I mean the the, the different pastas are invented not because engineers were whimsical. They had, all had a purpose. So if you, if the example I give in the book is penne. Penne is ribbed on the outside, yeah. and it has a nib-like structure at the beginning and end, yeah. and it has a hollow, and it's designed to be able to pick up the ragu that it would go with it. Whereas um, spaghetti was ideally suited to fish with just a light, uh, say, sauce of, or simply olive oil on it. And that's the way it was eaten initially. It was the Americans who adopted spaghetti bolognese. Crikey. And pasta isn't it? I, I always thought pasta was made in the, originally in some Italian grandmother's kitchen, but no. I know. It's, it's a, I mean, it's a massive industry. Um, but it, when it started off, it, it, it came from the Arabs uh, who had uh, developed hard wheat in uh, North Africa, and they occupied Sicily for about 200 years. And they brought their pasta, or their, their, their wheat with them, and 
between them and the Italians, they invented this uh, flour that they wouldn't put a raising agent in. They'd flatten it out and they'd make, that would make uh, lasagna or you cut strips of it and you'd have uh, uh, carbonara or yeah. whatever you like. And then they, they used to wrap it around a piece of wire that was covered in olive oil and uh, then slowly pull the wire out. And that was the beginning of uh, uh, tubular uh, pasta. But it was an Arabian dish. It was. It came from. Yeah. Originally, uh, it came from the Arabs, and the Arabs actually are responsible for an enormous number of our foods: sugar, uh, uh, coffee, tea, mm. uh, spices. Um, and they, uh, they, they see. They, they, they had. Uh, for example, they brought um, coffee from Ethiopia through to um, uh, the the Gulf of Persia and, and on to Turkey, and they kept it there for a long time. It was. It was many centuries later that it came to Europe. But they're responsible for quite a lot of the, 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 the foods we eat. Yeah. Was there a war over tea, or a near war over tea? Oh, oh, no, there was a real war. What happened was the, uh, an English uh, company called the uh, East India Company, um, were, uh, they, they were into pepper in the, in the Far East, and then they, the, the market fell out of pepper, and tea became, began to become very popular. There was a Queen Catherine of England, she was Portuguese, and she popularised tea. So there was a big demand for tea, and they were trading with the, the, the Chinese. Um, and the Chinese decided they would only sell uh, tea for silver. Now, the, at the time, there was a shortage of silver. So what the uh, East India Company did was they set up opium farms in India. Now, the Chinese were fond of a little bit of opium in their cigarettes or tobacco, and um, it gave them a little kick at the end of the day. So they brought on, the, on, When was this, Mike? This would have been, um, let me think now, uh, about 1600, 1700, 1800. And they, they, so they, the they Chinese brought, farmers were smoking joints. Well, they were, yeah. They were very fond of it. It wasn't just the farmers. It was a very posh thing. And then all the paraphernalia went with it. It became very sophisticated. But the English uh, brought the opium from, that they grew from India, uh, smuggled it into China, sold it to the, the drug lords. In return, they got silver, and they bought tea. And then the emperor decided uh, that opium was getting out of hand. Up to 15% of the population were addicted. So he, he, he uh, basically, at first he, he had a death sentence, and I said, that didn't work. And then he attacked uh, one of the British stores, so the British went in and, and in, in three different wars, thrashed them. And that's how they won Hong Kong, by the way. And uh, they tea. kept... What, sorry? Over tea? Over tea, yeah. Hong Kong was won over tea, wow. Absolutely, yeah. It's a, it, it, and they, they eventually did something which was quite remarkable. They had um, uh, a botanist from Edinburgh who was fluent in Mandarin. And they organised for him to go into China because they, they bought tea, but they didn't know how to make tea if you like, to grow it. They didn't yeah. know the agriculture of it. Yeah. So they sent this fellow, uh, Mr. Fortune, into um, uh, uh, India with plenty of silver, and uh, he spent his time uh, getting uh, the, his coolies to take uh, to bribe people to give them tea bushes and to give them know-how and implements. And it, was, it was, really was industrial espionage at a big level, and that brought tea to India, to um, Darjeeling and Assam, in the Himalayas. When you think about it now, you sit down to have a cup of tea to sort out a disagreement. When you yeah. think the countries went to war 
over what's it. in your tea bag. That's the, the the book is is it's it's. I suppose if you to open your pantry or your larder at home and our food press and look from one end to the other, there's a story behind everything we put on our plate. Yes, there is. I mean, the spices, the, the herbs were, were Mediterranean because they grew in the rocky sort of soil of the Mediterranean. And so Mediterranean dishes tend to use herbs, not spices. Eastern part of the world, um, a lot of them were vegetarians. And just uh, to, to, if you like, spice up their vegetarian dishes, they developed all, all of these different spices. And uh, they were very, very expensive and uh, very hard to get. And there was a whole... Um, spice trade going from China all the way along the uh, seas of Asia uh, down to Africa and out to Madagascar. It was an amazing piece of trade they did. And then um, pepper, of course, was, also came from the, uh, the east. Mm. Uh, salt was uh, mined, mostly mined. Uh, and and uh, uh, Salzburg, for example, is a, uh, had, had a big, what, what was a salt town, so yeah. hence Salzburg. Um, and uh, vinegar is uh, just plain old um, fermented sugar, but the um, the, the very very uh, posh vinegars they take up to fifteen years to uh, to, to to properly develop. Crikey. Uh, Last one: If someone gave me a, a plate of rice, now I love a plate of steamed or boiled rice with my food, right? Yeah. How would I tell whether it was? Indian rice or Chinese rice, there is a way. Yeah, the, the, the Indian rice will tend to be longer. Um, the Indians eat with their hands, their right hand. They do, yeah. Left hand is for toilets. And uh, so they eat with their right hand and uh, they, they pick it up with their fingers or they pick it up with bread. And so it has to be fluffy and loose. The Chinese eat rice with chopsticks. And so they have a shorter, a shorter rice which, when it's cooked, gets sticky. And so the, it, it's easier to eat with chopsticks if it's sticky. Right. So that's why when you get your little carton of rice from the Chinese, it sticks together and you have to kind of break it apart with a fork. Yeah. And, and the Indian is fluffy and falls out of the dish. Yeah. How cool is that? Listen, yeah. it's, it's great. It's an adventure in food. The, 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 book, the, the book is called Food Through the Ages. Mike Gibney, the Professor Emeritus of Food and Health at University College Dublin. Thank you very much for being with us on the Opinion Line. It's fascinating, the, the story of all the different kinds, all the different foods that we eat. Really appreciate you being with us, Michael. Thank you. Burr says, that's bull. I have a bar of fruit and nut every night, and I can tell you every man is totally safe. Love the show. But he's right, isn't he? All the ads about chocolate are all about sort of seductiveness and soft music and, you know, and oh, man, song, songs and women in very little on them and things like that, or women in... Does chocolate make you feel frisky? Like, is chocolate an aphrodisiac? Right? The one thing I learned about chocolate a long time ago was not to eat it at night. Not for that reason. No, 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 no. Not for that reason at all. God Almighty, no, no, no. Don't we think of that. No, no, no. Because I can't sleep. <laughs> because if I eat chocolate late at night, the sugar keeps me awake. So maybe that's why. If the sugar keeps you awake, then you have more time for 
the bit of how is your father? Is chocolate an aphrodisiac, hey? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Darkness have announced plans to bring their Motorheart Tour to Cypress Avenue in February 2022. The UK Rockers return to Cypress Avenue for the show, taking place on Saturday the 26th of February, with tickets on sale now from the venue's website, cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. Early bird tickets go on sale tomorrow morning for Indy 22, returning to Mitchell's Sound Cork next August Bank holiday weekend. After the two-year break, the festival returns with information at independencefestival.com and tickets on sale tomorrow from Ticketmaster.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at AAA at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. Someone was on the phone asking about the app for DLD stroke dyspraxia. If you want to find that app, it is Texi, T-E-C-S-E. Texi, T-E-C-S-E. Or you can find out more by contacting Dr. Frizzell on p.frizzell, that's F-R-I-Z-E-L-L-E, at ucc.ie. p.frizzell at ucc.ie. The app is called T-E-C-S-E. 1850-715-996. If you're going on a date in any of the weekends or nights ahead of us, and hopefully when we get to open up next weekend, hopefully... Uh, a lot of people will go on dates. If you don't feel so safe, if the person that you agreed to go on the date with are a bit weird and they're not exactly what they said they were and they're not exactly what it appears to be on the tin to the point where you're feeling a little bit off and you might like to make a hasty exit or worse than that, you're scared and they're bothering you. Uh, can you get help? Well, if you're in Casey's in Baltimore, a fine place indeed, you certainly can. James Casey, good morning. Hi, how are you, PJ? Good good to have you on the show, sir. Um, it is actually Casey's in Clonakilty. I beg your pardon. I thought close, it was in Baltimore. Close, I thought it was, because the legendary Casey's in Baltimore, just as legendary as the Casey's in Clonakilty, where I have been myself. So my apologies. Oh. But anyway, Brilliant. if we're in Casey's and we're not feeling comfortable, what's an angel shot? So an angel shot is some, something that a uh, girl or male um, could ask for, could ask the bartender or their server for. So, for example, if you ask for an angel shot, you can ask for it neat, which means that you want to get escorted to your vehicle or to... Um, get walked off the premises then if it's dressed you can get um, you want us to call a lift for you or get a taxi for you to get off the premises that your date is going bad but then you can ask for an angel shot with lime 
So that more or less means that, look, I'm in big trouble here. The date's not going as planned and I'm in big trouble. I need assistance either from yourselves or the Gardaí. Now, we're in a time so where all service is to the table uh, and that hasn't changed and it may change soon, but it hasn't changed. So if someone's sitting at the table with the person that they're on a night out and they feel uncomfortable and you come down to order a round of drinks and the other person wants a pint of beer or whatever and you say, I'd like uh, an angel shot neat, please. What will happen then? So then we know we've the staff briefed and trained for this. So we'd know then, you know, say, oh, um, you know, we'd either walk them out to the venue or, you know, oh, would you like to come with us for a second? And then we'd make sure that they're, you know, they get to their vehicle or right. their taxi or whatever they right. need or their mode of transport safely. So you'd be able to do, like, you wouldn't, the, uh, what I'm getting at is with the table service, you, you, you don't want to cause a scene. Like if someone's at a bar and they ask for give me an angel shot with lime, you know they're in trouble, right? And you can discreetly get them out of the way. But at the table, you obviously have a, okay, that's grand, I won't be, I won't be, I'll sort that out for you now. And yeah, some, something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the circumstances and stuff, you know, you know, we could say, oh, could we have you a second or could we have a word with you a second? Right. You know, or there's someone here looking for you, you know, yeah. depending on the situation that we could, yeah. You know, get him away from the table safely. What? What? what but was how the, this where, actually? Where, yeah, where did it come from? How this actually came about was I was uh, walking myself one night, and this woman came in and she said, "Oh, look for a table for two. And we said, "Yeah, no problem. We'll give you a nice table here by the window." So that was all grand, and we gave him. Uh, we dropped down the menus, and she said, "Oh, there'll be someone else here now shortly." And we said, "Grand, perfect, no problem." So this fella rocked in and she, he said, oh, we have a table here. And I said, yeah, yeah, perfect. Your table is down here and sat him down. And I knew by her body language, you know, her coat never came off or, you know, she was never sat underneath the table. She was always kind of facing towards the outside of the table, say. And then there are gentlemen arrived or so-called gentlemen arrived and I went down to take their drinks order mm. and to drop them off menus, food menus. So... I heard her saying, oh, you don't look like your profile pictures at all at all. So then I knew straight away, oh, Jesus, you know, this, yeah. this is not going to go down good, like. So I monitored it. They ordered a drink. They kind of drank it halfway down. And the girl got up and left. So then we kind of casually went out, sweepy out the front, um, you know, just to make sure that she was, she got to her car. You know, without anyone interfering with her or following her or anything like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's actually how it came about. And that's how I said, you know, just in case with yeah. dating, coming back on again. Yeah. Because there was a thing with before the, called Ask Angela. It's 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 a version of that. Yeah. A version of that. Is Correct. Angela here yeah. or Ask for Angela? Yeah, yeah. Or is Angela yeah. working tonight kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, it's a great uh, idea. It's a really, really good idea. Well done. And just while I have you there, and we're a week away from when things were supposed to be opening up. At the moment, they still are. But what if they're not? Would it worry you down there in cases? Um, well, we'll just have to get on with it, you know. There's no point crying over it. We just kind of keep the head down and make the best out of what we have. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'd prefer to everyone be safe. Yeah. You know, the last thing we'd want is, you know, someone to get sick yeah. out of the venue. 
So yeah. you know, the safer, the safer it is, the better for us. Yeah, and one rumor that's out there, James. I I don't want to put you on the spot now, but seeing as I have a public in on the phone, I will. Like you know, one rumor that's out there is that they may keep checking passes for a while. How would you feel about that? Um, yeah, sure. If it's the law, the rules, it it's there to follow. But we are actually in a very lucky position. We've actually covered heated beer garden. Yes. So we we can kind of offer, you know, we've a, we've an inside or an outside option, so we can kind of cater for everyone. Good, good. Yeah. So if someone came to the door and they weren't vaccinated or didn't have their pass, oh look, we have an outside area. Would you like to look at it? You know. Yeah, we're kind of in a good position that way, where yeah. we can offer the best of both worlds. To be, to be fair, I think a lot of ven- venues have invested heavily in that, and that's a change. I think for the for the future that will be positive. Is we're going to do more with outside, and even in winter we'll heat it. James, thanks, James Casey, the owner of Casey's in Clonakilty, not the Casey's in Baltimore. Casey's in Clonakilty, and if you're down there and things aren't going so hot, ask for an angel shot, uh, and someone will help you. And I guess if any other pub wants to take that on, it's a very good idea. The in- asking for Angela was a thing in the clubs a couple of years ago. I love that idea. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. On the subject of the vaccinated and the uptake of vaccines and, and all of this and why we're in such trouble in the hospitals, because we are. And yesterday I told you why, because they've only added 10 fully staffed ICU beds in a year. Uh, don't forget that. And then the figures are there to show it and to prove it. I found them. I had them written out in front of me here yesterday morning. They've only added 10 fully staffed beds in ICU since this time last year. But we have a 90% vaccinated best uptake in Europe, says this message, but still the highest numbers. The difference between us and the rest of Europe is they use antigen testing and we don't. That was debated on national radio this morning, actually, and they've done a bit of research. There actually is no correlation there. I asked Kingston Mills yesterday morning was suggesting, Professor Kingston Mills was saying, actually our problem might be the fact that our nearest neighbour is still riddled. They've had more freedoms, they have opened up more than we have, and it's going well in some places and not so well in others. And one place is not going so well, it's north of the border. And look... You need me to spell it out for you in words of one syllable. That's Kingston Mills theory. We have a problem, definitely, and this time next week, we may have to not do what we had hoped to do. But uh, the antigen testing, while we are outliers still in not using antigen testing like other countries, it doesn't seem to be having that much of an effect on the numbers in hospital. Why would it? 1850-715-996. I talked to Jade Foley a few weeks back uh, before the start of Glow Up Ireland um, she got as far as the semi-final she was the last woman standing on Glow Up Ireland uh, but unfortunately she bowed out in the latest episode in the semi-final Hiya Jade Hello, how are you? Very good, very good I asked you at the start were you allowed to tell me how far you, you got and you weren't but you did very well yeah, I was kind of. Sh- I was very shocked. <laughs> I why didn't you? think I'd make it that far at all. Why? Why not? You see, 
there's such a high level of like talent in Ireland. I don't think people see that. Like there's such a high talent and it's not in the case of like your work. It's more so like um, your, it's just how you play the game really. And I just didn't know if I could like keep going with it because I was like, will I be able to be as good as these people who've literally been in industry for years? And I just started on TikTok. <laughs> so um, it was kind of hard then to see a way up um everyone's work because you know everyone's such different styles as well like it's very hard to judge everyone based on styles so I guess when I came down to techniques and stuff like that yeah. you kind of had to know a bit to be fair yeah. and I hadn't barely any knowledge so I was like winging it the whole way through yeah but you were winging it on the basis of what you seem to have a pure raw pure raw talent got you that far oh. <laughs> I suppose yeah I did to be fair yeah. I um oh, I was going to say something I God, so You're sorry. All right. You're all right. <laughs> What's the experience been like? It's been a very interesting experience. You go from doing your makeup in your bedroom your whole life and then, well, not whole life, two years, but <laughs> then you go straight into being on a TV set. Um, so it's a big jump. It's a very big yeah. jump. I'd never worked in a salon or anything like that, so it was like a very big step up from your little bedroom and your little desk. But it was really cool. Do you know, it's cool to like learn and grow from some of the best in the country, do you know, possibly the world too. Like the judges have done it all. Like on the legs of Emma, she literally done makeup on even the queen. Like she's she's really had a good career for herself as well as Kathy Ann. Like the, when the second the show um stopped filming, she was off to like, you know, Italy to like do Pat McGrath's like show and stuff like that. So like all those kind of things. Mm. It's amazing to kind of have them compliment you and your work as well and tell you where you can like, you know, change your mm. techniques and change your style and not style as such, but kind of more so like your approach. But clearly, and the best way to do that. clearly, Jade, when you started to teach yourself in your bedroom a couple of years ago and it went from a hobby to something you love, Clearly, there's something there because you, you've gotten to the semi-final of a national competition up against some professionals. So what's the next step for you now? Oh, the next step for me is literally whatever comes my way. I am so open to take any opportunities because I did win, in my opinion, the two best prizes in the competition. And I can't wait to kind of do them next year. And then so what, what far... What prizes were they? To- Remind me again. So the first one was the Charlotte Tilbury Prize. So I'll be going more or less abroad to meet her and be backstage with one of her shows and be a guest and learn from behind the scenes of what it's like to kind of like be a makeup artist on her kind of like team kind of a thing for for the whole time. Then the next one is um, getting to be on the set of Valhalla, which is a Netflix show that'll be starting, I think, around next year. Cool. So I'll be doing kind of like the makeup with that for the with the key special effects artist, which is Tom McInerney. I think the future is very bright for you, Jade. I think in a couple of years' time, I might have to book through a series of agents to talk to you. (laughs) Oh, wouldn't that be a dream? (laughs) Well, maybe for you, but not for me. We'll, we'll keep your number. Here's the deal, Jade. You keep keep the number, and you come. You'll talk to me whenever I want. How's that? (laughs) <laughs> perfect <laughs> no listen congratulations you've really really done very well I remember at the start of it you, you were very cagey you wouldn't tell me anything but you did really well and like that you you, you went up there two years self-taught always remember that self-taught you might you might you <laughs> mightn't think that you, you know you you kind of brushed that off no self-taught 
You're over there, you competed with well, the Well, I was very, qualified now in um, photography, makeup. So yeah. with Tiger Training Academy, they did teach me. They yeah. were actually the ones that pushed me to even do TikTok because I was, I went in, had no confidence. I was like literally only getting it for the qualification. They were like, you need to keep posting, you need to keep posting. Mm. And I was like, okay, okay, I will. And um, lo and behold, I kept posting and look where it got me. There you go. Jade, congratulations on getting this far and enjoy the next step in the journey. That's Jade Foley, Foley semi-finalist in Glow Up Ireland, the last woman standing and one of ours from Cork. 1850 congratulations, Jade. Hey, it's on WhatsApp. Hey, people, maybe people know this, but I didn't. I was in town with my eight-year-old, five-year-old and three-year-old recently. I brought them into a fast food restaurant and left it to the last minute. They were starved. Anyway, I had my vaccination email, but I didn't have an ID with me, so we were turned away. Outdoors wasn't an option as it was full of smokers. So just a heads up in case anyone gets caught out with hungry children. It was a bit stressful. Yeah, you do have to uh, have ID with you. And yeah, it's a bit of a pain in the arse, I know. But you do. And the reason being that you can, any, anybody can have a pass on their phone. I can screenshot my pass and, and send it by WhatsApp to somebody. And, and they can use it to get in to a pub. But if they don't have ID, should they could be anybody. So that is that is one of the drawbacks. So don't just have the pass on your phone. Like if we're going out, maybe to breakfast or something at the weekend, we'll always say to the umphala, uh, Queen Bee, right, we've got our phones with the passes on. Yeah, we've got our ID. Yeah. It's, it's the way it is, unfortunately. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. All the stars on one show. Yo, what's up? It's your boy KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're picture this. This is Medusa. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. Shane Bucks. On your radio, weeknights from 8. With New Market Motors Volkswagen. Low rate finance and purchase contributions across the Volkswagen van range. Newmarketvolkswagen.ie. Corks 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, there's a new TV series coming in 2022. It's animated, uh, produced here in Munster, uh, based on a book written by a Frenchman who lived in Cork for many years. Flix is what it's called. It was written by Tommy Ungerer and his daughter Aria joins me. Aria, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Tell me a little bit about this. Well, the book Flix um, was published back in the 90s. Um, So I started working with Tommy about 10 years before he died. And somewhere along the way, we thought, wouldn't it be brilliant to adapt one of his books into a TV show? So this book Flix is about the only dog growing up in Cat Town. He is born to cat parents. Um, they're surprised when he's born, but <laughs> they love him anyway, and off they go. I would have thought so that would be an interesting like... twist on the first page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's literally, it's straight off the mark. Like in the book, you know, you see them in the hospital. She's giving birth and out comes this little pug. So um, 
So that's the, <laughs> that kind of sets the tone for the whole thing, really. But it's lovely. You know, they never question, like, how did this happen or where did he come from or why is he a dog or any of that kind of crack, you know. Um, I'm enjoying this already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we thought it would be brilliant to take this story and um, turn it into a TV show or adapt it into animation. So that's what we're doing. It's taken us a while to get to this point. Um, you know, Tommy actually worked quite a lot on the adaptation and, you know, adapting the designs and making them more sort of friendly for a screen audience because right. it's a little different to a book. Um, but yeah, that's sort of the the beginnings anyway. Yeah. of the project so it's all about like the only dog growing up in cat town and what it's like to be different to everybody else and um you know so for example he's a little pug and his best friends are cats but there's things in cat town or in the cat world that just don't make sense to him so for example like one of their favorite delicacies to eat is this ice cream made out of pink mice and so for flicks like that's obviously disgusting um, you know, he's not very good at climbing. He doesn't get laser pointers. He kind of likes fish, but he's not, you know, that wouldn't be his first choice. Um, you know, compared to the do- the cats, he's pretty messy. You know, every now and again, he has a compulsion to dig and they don't get that at all. You know, there's all those sort of um, <laughs> cultural differences that he's navigating all the time. Do you know what? Um, who who will love so this? Fun. Children and adults will love this who have both cats and dogs. I'm one of those. <laughs> Me too. Me too. And it's so you're hoping to get it to to Telly in late 22. But tell me, tell me yeah. about Tommy. Tell me about him. Well, what would you like to know? Where would I even begin? You know. <laughs> um, well, I suppose like the basics is Tommy was born in 1931 in Alsace, so he was born before the Second World War in a part of France that has sometimes belonged to France and sometimes belonged to Germany. So actually, that when he was a kid, that area of France was annexed by the Germans. So he actually had to spend a portion of his childhood under German occupation. Um, and, you know, that really, I think, for him, set the tone for his life as well, in terms of he spent his whole life really fighting against injustice and... That's also a little bit where this story comes from. So Tommy was an artist. Um, among you know other things, he wrote and drew many children's books. And most of those children's books have a kind of message about being the odd one out. You know, so he did a lot of books about weird animals that nobody usually likes, like a bat, a snake, mm. an octopus, that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, yeah, Tommy moved to Ireland in the mid-70s. And so my brothers and I, grew up in Ireland as a result of that. Um, it's a very long winding story. Sorry, I'm giving you really kind of like top line sort of it's okay. bits it's okay. while I'm missing out on whole swathes of... But all, he continued to stories. produce and to write and to publish. He did, yeah. Yeah, right up until his, he died two and a half years ago at the age of 87. So right up to his last day, you know, his last day we were working because I worked with him for 10 years. So even on his last day, we were working away. Um, yeah, that was like breathing and eating for him. Yeah, yeah. And he won, and it's a, a very, very prestigious international award, the Hans Christian Andersen Award. Yes. Yes. And in fact, he got he won that award um, just after Flix was published. So he actually took a hiatus from children's books. He didn't create any children's books for quite some years. And then he decided he would start making children's books again and that he would that each one of those books would have a really clear social message. 
Mm. So Flix was the first of those books. And when Flix came out, that's when he won the Hans Christian Andersen Award. So, uh, uh, yeah, that is considered a very prestigious award for in terms of children's books. So we would hope to see, what, 13 11-minute episodes coming yes. out towards yes. the end of 2022 about this little... Well, we'll deliver, we'll deliver to RTE and the other broadcasters at the end of 2022, but it's possible they won't, you won't see it on your screen until the beginning of 2023. So okay. it might kind of be like, you know, you hit the ground running in January yeah. with, the, with the series. About, yeah. about a little dog... Born to two cats. It's 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 exactly. It's a exactly. Lot of, sounds like a lot of fun in the making, and I look forward to seeing it. And I'm, you're talking to the biggest child in the in the room here, Aria. So congratulations on it. I look forward to seeing it at the end of 22 or start of 23. Aria Unger, a daughter of Tommy Unger, the author of Flix, which is coming to the small screen in an animated series. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. I might tell you, Adele isn't the only one with a new single out, the new album to follow. There's a new album out today by one of Ireland's very, very finest. That's High, which is the current single from the album The Man Who Stayed Alive, which comes out today. Christy Dignamior and fine, fine voice on the new album. Good morning. Good morning. Cheers. Thanks very much. Congratulations. I love the song. I heard it, I heard it a couple of weeks ago and I lashed it straight into my playlists and I said to myself, I'm hearing Beatles, I'm hearing uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan and I'm hearing Christy all the way through it. It's it's a beautiful song. Congratulations. Thanks very much. There was, I mean, they, they were two of my main influences, Gilbert O'Sullivan and the Beatles, so they, they would creep into it, you know. So thanks very much. Fantastic. I'm really proud of this record. It's really, it's, it's the best thing I've done in years. Yeah, yeah. How's the health, by the way, before we go any further? It was grand. I mean, the, the, my condition I have is terminal. There's no cure. So basically, when when the, the proteins, the cancer proteins rise, I have to go on chemo to bring it back down again. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Mm. I'm, I'm on chemo at the moment. But grand. I mean, it's been like this for the last eight years. So yeah, just, yeah. and you and I have talked about it before and the two different yes. kinds of cancer. And when you're fighting one, the other the other can get out of control. That's it. Yeah. It's a balancing act. And yeah. I guess the last couple of years have been very hard because if you got COVID on top of that, you'd be goosed altogether. Oh, absolutely. I, I rang me, um, me car- the, the cancer affected my heart and I rang my cardiologist at the beginning of the pandemic and I says, how serious would it be if I catch this virus? And he said, look, you won't survive it. He says, Boy, he says you have to do everything in our power not to get it. So I was terrified. Until I got vaccinated, I was absolutely terrified. Mm. So back to so gigging I, again, Christy, the yeah. INEC. One of your favourite venues anyway, I know that. Yes, it's, it's a great. I, I love Kerry as well. It's a great. It's a great place. It's always been great for us. 
But um, this we haven't we haven't did an indoor gig in two years. We we did a couple of pod outdoor gigs. Mm. So this is our first kind of indoor gig. So I'm really really looking forward to it. I can't wait. Because part of the magic of Aslan's music is the interaction with the audience. It's, Absolutely, it's, and you know what? It's funny you should say that because during the pandemic we did a few live streams and stuff, and without the audience, it just you could. It was, it was like. It was like the guitarist wasn't in the band. They're an integral part of the whole thing, you know. And when they're not there, it just lacks lacks something, you know. So I did watch one back. of them, and and I must say I sat and enjoyed it with my my son, who, as you know, is also a huge fan of the band. And I just said the same. I said it's not the same. And I I, I looked yeah. at you and I said, Christy is obviously enjoying it because you're making music, but it was not the same without a crowd around. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, I didn't enjoy it that much. Now, wh- actually, when we did it and it was broadcast, um, a, a couple of weeks later, the manager was putting up bits on social media, and I just rang. I said, "Look, take all that down. I just don't want." Really? It just, as you say, it just wasn't. It wasn't there because I feed off the audience as well, you know. And when that's not there, it just yeah. lacks. Well, of course, I, I mean, I've seen you. I've worked with you at the Sun Collector sessions with with Roy yes, Buckley, and I've seen you go down into a crowd and sing "Crazy World." literally sitting on a bar stool with, tw- with 10 people around you. Like, that's where you're yeah. at your happiest, isn't it, Christy? Absolutely, yeah. You, you know, th- th- as I said, that's an in- integral part of the whole thing. Because <clears throat> the way I look at it is, music is, is like a foreign language to most people. And the singer kind of translates the music for the audience. And he's the link between the music and the audience. So, you know, if you haven't got an audience, it's just, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's crap. <laughs> How 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 happy are you that you've been able to keep the health under control and get back out there and get and keep making music? Uh, I'm buzzing at the moment, you know, just to be just to be back doing something, you know, because when I'm not gigging, it's just I don't know, it's it's what I live for. So when I'm not gigging, there's just a huge part of my life not not being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm really really excited about this gig and doing this. I can't wait to get back and just. Just be with an audience again. Mm. How are the rest of the lads in the band? Oh, everybody's great, yeah. We're all everybody's in the same, you know, they're all in the same frame of mind. We're all just can't wait to get back. So we had to even rehearse to to to, to relearn some of the songs. It was that long since we played them. <laughs> so, yeah, because yeah, you, you, you couldn't weird. even we, you couldn't even meet during lock during lockdown. Like no, no, that's it. Just, everything was done on on, on uh, streams, you know, live live stream and yeah. talking to people on FaceTime and stuff like that. There was a little video I saw. It was it on YouTube or somewhere? Did you come out into the driveway at one stage? And see yeah, an that was on my birthday. <laughs> that was on my birthday. We came out and did a few songs. It was great. Like all the, it's funny. Like the, the, obviously, there was a lot of bad things about the pandemic, and we all know them. But one thing that I thought was really cool: all the neighbours. I have neighbours here that I'm living living here twenty odd years and. There's some neighbours I wouldn't know. And I got to know all the neighbours because of the pandemic and because of that kind of little thing we did in the garden. And I felt there was a lovely community spirit. It reminded me of Ireland years ago. So yeah. that was a good positive from the whole thing. Yeah. <clears throat> when will we see you in Cork again soon? Um, well, we, we are down in... Uh, we, did, we did a little thing in uh, in Cypress Avenue a couple of weeks ago. Right. And it was amazing. So we're trying to do something in the in the um the opera house but yet with this 60 you know the 60 percent capacity yeah. thing yeah we we lose money on that so we're waiting to see what happens on the 22nd to see will it move up to the you know up into the 100 yeah. percent capacity would you be nervous hearing what you're hearing now that it won't 
Oh, what, 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 yeah, we're really nervous about it. Like, it's, it'll be an absolute disaster if it doesn't, you know, because we were the first out of work and we're the last back to work. And I think, personally, I think we've been thrown to the wolves by the government. They've just ignored the whole entertainment industry. And, the, like, the money that we generate for this country and the, 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 the you know, the likes of you, too, the, 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 the publicity you bring to this country is huge. And the government have just ignored us on this, so it's been bad. All right. Well, listen, great to see you back. Can't wait to meet you and hear you in person yeah. again soon. Hopefully we'll get together at a gig uh, sooner rather yes. than later. Christy, good luck yeah. to you. Good luck to the band. Cheers, Cheers. The new, Thanks very much. The new album is just magnificent. And, uh, and, and oh, thank you. Take care of yourself. I'll talk to you very soon. That is Christy Dignam, the legend that is Mr. Christy Dignam. The album is out called The Man Who Stayed Alive. The song is called High. And they're back at the INEC in... Uh, late October, October 23rd, Saturday week, in fact, Saturday week. And isn't it just my rotten look that I'm going to carry on the 24th? A miss the flipping thing. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. So, houses all over Cork and all over the country, they're whistling this. Denise Curtin, digital editor of Stellar.ie. What is the thing with Squid Game, apart from the fact that you just can't take your eyes off it for a second? Good morning. Morning. I think... The thing with Squid Games is that it's just so wildly unusual. It's like nothing we've ever watched before. Even trying to to, to to nail a genre on it is impossible. It's just mad. It's absolutely mad. We were having a conversation actually about this in the office the other day and we were like, how do you even describe Squid Games to someone who hasn't watched it? It's just baffling. Because, okay, it's a story about people consumed by debt and there yep. are thousands of them in the world. So we can all we can all sort of identify with having debts. And then mm-hmm. some of them have debts they can't pay. And and they meet this guy in the street and he offers to play a game with them. And if they can beat him, they win money. And then when the game is over, they end up playing real life children's playground games in this weird place full of people with masks and funny suits on. And they're all wearing blue tracksuits and sleeping in bunk beds. And you see, I'm even losing the run of myself before I'm into what happens at the games. It's crackers. It's crackers. And I think exactly like you said, you know, they, they, they play a game at the beginning to see if whether or not they can um, enter the squid games where they're basically competing to get out of debt themselves but in a life or death scenario. Um, but from the very, very get-go, you can see that all these people, you know, they're constantly gambling with their lives. You know, they're constantly hoping that, you know, the next day is going to be the, the day that they make, the day they get out of debt, the day that they kind of set their lives on a brand new track. So, like, 
you can tell that all these people are totally struggling. So entering the Squid Games kind of seems like a last resort. They're like, what else do I have to lose? You know, I'm going to I'm going to enter it and I'm going to try my best because they kind of have addictive personalities anyway. They're like, you know what, like I'm kind of getting a thrill from from getting through this or, or you know, ultimately not. But um, it's it, it's fascinating to watch because unlike some series where you can kind of predict where things are going Squid Games is one where you just have absolutely None. no idea None where it's was. going to go. You, you're watching it like baffled. And you really you can't even, you know, can't even take your eyes off it because you're just like, I have to be so fixated on it because a lot of us as well are obviously reading the subtitles. So that's keeping us watching it anyway. Mm. But also it's just the, the, the imagery and the cinematic qualities of it. Everything, it's just all so unusual and half the characters we're not even seeing because like you said they're wearing masks and you can't see their faces so it's 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 incredible it's incredible because it's so daft yeah it's daft but it's brilliant now i think it's very important to say denise it is not for the squeamish no it's absolutely not for the squeamish i i just there's parts in it even where I'm and I'd be you know grand at watching kind of gruesome things like I nearly love like horrors and thrillers and everything like that but there are parts where it's just so bloody literally blood and gore and so violent that you're you're like oh my god I can't I can't look at this I'm actually going to get sick but um yeah if, if you're if you if you faint at the sight of blood or anything like that you will collapse within minutes of watching mm. this show it's um it, it really it really is it is really gruesome um now it's, but it's, I think it's made for think, Netflix and they haven't spared the horses yeah. it's a very lavish production it is very lavish. It really, really is. You know, like everything from the very, very beginning of episode one, the whole way through to episode nine. It Like you can tell that Netflix have really put their all into it. And it's absolutely paid off in tenfold because, I mean, it was the most watched show in 90 countries, including Ireland, becoming the biggest series release that Netflix have ever seen. I tell you, Bridgerton are crying and reaching 111 million viewers in 17 days of its of its uh, original release so it's just it's crazy and what's even more crazy is i think the director of squid games he's been trying 10 years to get this production off the ground and then for it to reap such massive reward in such a short amount of time it's just a tribute to its success yeah yeah now you you have to kind of stand back and ask yourself why does something take over why does something that you, you look at... If I, like if someone said to me three months ago that a strange Asian programme was about to take over Netflix and completely change the game and it would be very violent and I couldn't see half the cast's faces, I would have said, nah, never, never going to happen. But, but it did. Yeah. What do you think is the secret, Denise? To be honest, it's it's the million dollar question. I think it's a mixture of it being something that we've never really got before. You know, a lot of the time the series that, you know, fly on Netflix are ones that you can kind of guess are going to do great. Like when we were talking about Bridgerton earlier um, or when I mentioned there a minute ago, like the thing with Bridgerton is, you know, you've got... Uh, Reggie John Paul, who's just attracting to the senses, and you're like, oh my God, you've got, you know, um, um, Sally Webster's daughter, you know, Sally Denever's daughter, who's who plays the main, and she's just so beautiful and elegant, and the music is fabulous, and it's got all those aspects that usually a series does great with. Whether's with Squid Games, it's just so so different that it's like, oh my God, what is this? It, I think I think people that 
um, have never seen something like that before have been drawn in. People who love watching um, Korean programs have been drawn in. It's appealed to everyone. And I think mainly the reason most of us have flicked onto it is because we're like, what's the hype about? I know that was mm-hmm. why I watched it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I heard people talking about it and I was like, I want to know what the hype is too. But I think it's a mixture of a mixture of reasons, but mainly because it's just so different to anything we've seen before. People will be wearing the tracksuits. You can buy oh, them yeah. already. The blue, there's a, I should explain if you haven't seen that. There are two sets of protagonists here in the game. There are the participants who wear blue tracksuits and each one has a number on them. And then there are the staff who wear a red jumpsuit with a hood and a black mask that looks like a fly's eye. And the mask has got a, which I'm not at the point yet where they explain the significance of the mask, got a square, a triangular circle in it. And they, they carry guns. But the, we, we still don't know, do we, who these people in red are until very much later in the series, or is it ever revealed? Yeah, there's major fan theories. The the great thing is when you finish Squid Games, right, it's not like it's over because you just go onto social media and you or TikTok uh, mainly, and you can just scroll through endless fan theories where people are trying to explain to you all the little ins and outs, like why are some people split into teams of red and uh, kind of a greeny blue tracksuit? Why are, you know, how do they get into that position where they're in a red tracksuit? You know, there is so many fan theories online and they're, you know, some of them are so intriguing and they make you look at the series in ways that maybe you didn't look at it when you first watched it. So mm. uh, I'd really, really recommend There seem to be social, there's social <laughs> messages in it as well. If you dig yeah, deeper yeah. into it, you know, watch it a second Yeah, time. oh my God. Totally. It's it, it's definitely a, a series with a lot of layers, which, again, is probably why it's receiving such massive success. I mean, you know, we've got our fingers and toes crossed that a second season comes. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but, you know, look. I think that hasn't the writer said he wants to make a movie first. I mean, we're all going, no, 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 we need to know what happens next. God, yeah. <laughs> tell us what yeah, let's what? not get ahead of ourselves. Come what? on, just give us a second season. What is the connection with Downton Abbey? Yeah, I know. That's that that just seems kind of like another kind of random segue off it that people are kind of like scratching their heads about it. I'm not even too bloody sure myself. It's it's it I think part of the it's the Downton Abbey international industry seems to have bought the rights for this thing. Like, I think hang on, what's gonna happen now? Like is is the is the dowager going to come in and start shooting people or something? <laughs> I know, yeah, because I'm reading um, things online and it's like, oh, that's now part of the Downton Abbey universe. And I'm like, oh, my God, OK, this this, this show is confusing enough as it is. Don't be adding parts to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've been all morning trying to figure out how Downton know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's a commercial thing. There's other stuff on at the moment, even though Squid, Na- Squid Game is uh, winning the world on Netflix. But you're telling me, or I'm seeing here, that Love Actually is on Netflix in November and people are getting jellied at the knees. I know. And you know what's hilarious is that everyone who's absolutely losing their minds about Love Actually coming to Netflix has probably watched it maybe 50 to 60 times already. I know. (laughs) It's it's, It's not like it's a new thing for us. I remember it was like when the holiday dropped on Netflix as well, maybe about two Christmases ago. People were nearly screaming. They were so excited. It was all over social media. You know, people were telling their friends, you have to come over. We have to do a night watching the holiday. And it's it's just one of those quintessential Christmas 
movies. You know, you just you have to sit down, you have to watch it. We'll, and the we'll fact be having the argument in a few weeks' time. What is the best Christmas movie ever? Would it be yours? Love Actually, would it be mine? It would be up there. I don't think it would be the number one. I think I'm. I think I'm still at the holiday girl at heart. Like I love the little the little cottage, and I love Cameron Diaz, and I think she's absolutely phenomenal as well as Jack Black, Jude Law. You know the whole rake of them. But I just think that Love Actually would definitely be in the top five, one hundred percent. But I I laugh at it. The fact that it's dropping in November, it's the case of when do we watch it? Because you don't want to watch it too early. You know, you want to keep it for close to Christmas. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough to, you know, not watch it too soon. <laughs> you can watch it a hundred times on Netflix. Yeah. Apparently the connection between Squid Game and Downton Abbey, uh, if you can figure it out, you keep it to yourself because it's a spoiler. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> right, right. That's even more mysterious than it was. Denise, thanks very much. I'm going to watch a few more episodes of it tonight. Denise Curtin, digital editor of Stellar.ie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.